All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H2O1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years, and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H2O1820. Dog tested. Dog. Hashtag man's best kennel, baby. That's Gunner Kennels. Man, let's talk about these crates because when it hits the fan, you want your dog protected. It's an investment emotionally and financially to keep your hunting buddy safe. If you'd like to get into a Gunner Kennel, slide into the DMs and we'll hook you up. But do your best friend a favor and keep them safe this duck season. Have you wondered if you want to force fetch your dog? Maybe you think your dog's too soft. Maybe you're too nervous to screw, quote unquote, screw your dog up. Let me help you. I built a start to finish course with different dogs, different breeds, and different personalities from start to finish to show you how that you and your dog can do it successfully and easy. Jump in. Links in the description. We'd be happy to help you. Let's go. Let's set goals and get you and your dog where you want to be this duck season. What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles. We got a good, I was going to swear, but I held back. Proud of you. Thank you. Episode with my friend Dakota Miller. He's uh, a guy I've known for a really long time, an OG Lone Duck Pro staffer. Probably got the original hat uh, from way back in the day, like eight, nine, ten years ago, and He's progressed through the the whole game from amateur to, you know, hunt test pro, gun dog pro, and now he's running field trials and kicking butt and taking names. And um, super nice guy and, and very, very, very knowledgeable. So we have an awesome episode coming up. Um, also, also, he likes to kill ducks. So we'll, we'll talk about that too. But first, a little bit of Yukonuba baby. The big dogs are on that 30-20 sporting blend. Fuels the champions that we're building. Then the puppy formula. All the dogs that are under two years old or kind of like getting sexually mature, they're really developing into athletes and, and mature. That's when we make the flip to the 30-20. So we get that question a lot. When do we flip? Yukonuba says two years or until they're at that maturity level. Next up, Gunner Kennels. Man's best kennel. This is the ride that keeps my girl Quinn or Memphis safe when we're going on road trips, duck hunting road trips. We're actually Dakota. We're planning a trip to the Dakotas. So Kevin doesn't even know about that. So I'm excited about that. Uh, next up, Dogtra. These e-collars, I've been a fan of them for the last 10 years. Um, we've used them. We've abused them. And they hold up. But my favorite part is their customer service. They treat people right, and their products stand up to all the abuse we put them through. Uh, Traeger Grills. Some Mocha Mafia got them, baby. 
I did a couple of pork butts. I did some ribs. I'm actually kind of getting good at this. I don't mean to be arrogant, but You're, my meat good. tastes Edible. good. My meat tastes good. So you got to do a little dry rub. Then you got to put a little sauce on it. And then you got to smoke good. it good. And then there's your Traeger. So get you one. I like the Ranger. That's the one that goes in the bed of my truck when we're going to hunt test. Don't steal it out of there or I know I'll come and find you. <laughs> And then we got the big dog. Kevin's got the medium dog at his house. And, uh, yeah, we love it. And lastly, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. They keep us connected to you through analytics. And they also have another great group of folks on podcasts. So tune in to Waypoint Outdoor Collective. Now, dun, 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 my buddy Dakota is on the line. Dakota, do me a favor. If you just, you know, stayed awake through the intro, tell everybody. Yes, sir. A little bit about yourself, pal. All right. Um, my name's Dakota Miller. We train. We really specialize in young field trial dogs. Um, we we do still run a few in the all age stakes. We do still train a few gun dogs here and there. So explain to somebody what that young field trial dog would be. Uh, the young field trial dogs we train them from. You know, I get anywhere between nine weeks old um, to six months old pups in, and we'll keep them for really the first two years of their life. Uh, and when they leave me, they're ready to start training for an all-age stake, which is uh, the major leagues of the, the dog games. That's really cool. Are you running derbies with those dogs in that amount of time? Or are you just training and focusing on fundamentals and then sending them for all age? Our main focus is, you know, getting everything right, Bob. Mm-hmm. Uh, when they show up, to whoever they go to after myself, that uh, they're, they're ready to rock and roll. I know if we get to run some cues and some derbies while they're here, great. If not, we'll just focus on training. That's good. So let's take a second here and do a little bit of a dive into uh, what you brought up. So nine weeks old, all the way up to six months old, et cetera. If you get that nine-week-old nine puppy, what are you doing in your home, in your training program each day that you think separates yourself from the average Joe or the average trainer to develop drive, marking ability, attitude, all that? If we get a nine-week-old pup in, I won't do more than two at a time. Um, of course, we'll raise them in our house. I have two little kids, uh, so they get you know pulled around and played with during the day, whether in the house or at night. Um, of course, we crate train them. But all day, they're, they're with me while we're going through we may be on the swim by pond and I'll stake one of them out there beside me. and Then we'll go start running marks and another one's staked out right beside me. They're just yeah, being, getting adapted to all the noises, and sounds um, and sights that they'll see every day. And on top of it all, we, we do introduce them to birds, um, marking drills, a lot of, a lot of obedience drills, though, at that age, as long as they have the drive. Is there anything that you do that you think is, like, kind of special and unique to you in your training program that you don't hear other people do? 
we've dabbled with a little clicker training here lately, um, which is, you know, nothing uncommon, but sure. for a field trial pup, it, you know, it's, you don't hear a lot of guys doing it. Um, and I could see, I can see some good things coming from it right now, but the first dogs that we've started with, they're still very young. So, um, the jury is not out on it yet. Yeah. You know, I think it's a great thing. I think it's a great thing. I mean, you're helping that puppy learn in a positive way and you're developing a great attitude around learning and achieving and getting rewarded and being a team player. I mean, what are the, what could be the negatives? Like you're obviously not going to, uh, you know, run a blind at two years old and give them a clicker when they do a good job. It's going to get phased out at some point, but at that little puppy age attitude and confidence and drive and teamwork is, is awesome. So if that's something that you're seeing good things with, why wouldn't you? And I mean, I don't really do it either. So I'm not saying yay or nay. I'm just saying if, if it's building that, then, then heck yeah. But I haven't seen any negative from it so far. So we'll just, We'll keep going with them, and, you know, they're eventually, like you said, about to be phased out of it. They're getting to the age right now where I believe it's time to start letting it behind. And, of course, they've had a little negative reinforcement here and there for barking or jumping or, you know, the, the big no-nos of puppyhood. Sure. Um, I'm not just going to give them a quick treat when they quit doing the negative behavior. Sure. I still think they a puppy needs to learn what's right and what's wrong. Yeah, couldn't agree more. So let's take a step back from the dog training stuff because that's all well and good, and we'll we'll dive into it more in a bit. But I'd like everybody to get to know you a little bit better. Um, you're a father, a husband, a duck hunter. Um, tell us a little bit about your your kids and where you guys live now and and that stuff. Yeah, we have a five year old. Well. He's a, he'll be five this fall. Uh, his name is Corbin. And then we have a little girl that just turned two. Um, her name is Collins. We live in Auburn, Alabama. Of course, my, my wife and myself, uh, Kristen, uh, she is an avid duck hunter, an avid turkey hunter. Uh, she could probably out turkey hunt most of the men I've been around. Uh, still learning with the duck. So she's, she loves it though. And she goes every day with me when we can. Um, used to hunt a lot uh when we started having kids we had to drop back and punt a little bit and we got really serious with the with the field trial work then so it was perfect timing and now little man's getting old enough to he's he's kind of interested in it so cool. so i've got my place back in arkansas and we look forward to another duck season this year good for you now where in arkansas is that again we're in cash uh right there on the cash river just right outside of jonesboro northeast arkansas kevin and i went there god that was that was the longest damn road trip i've ever taken i feel like that's our average now though man it was long yeah no that was that was years ago i think we showed up mid-morning we showed up like like 9 a.m yeah something like that and we went on a speckle belly hunt behind your club didn't shoot a thing and just I mean, I would say we probably had a beer or two, but watched all the birds. And from being from New York, we don't have speckle bellies, and the snows that we do get aren't like down there. No. 
And it was just Kevin and I are sitting there like we didn't even pull the trigger and we're sitting there like, whoa, worth it. It was like horizon to horizon of just birds, birds loud. It was unbelievable. Yeah. Yeah. That was super sweet. Yeah. Yeah, If I remember correctly, you guys showed up right in the middle of a freeze. Yes. Um, Then we did have a couple of days right on the thaw with you before you left where we, we did get into some good groups. I think. Is that the you killed a black duck? I uh, did kill the black duck. He's on my wall right now. I didn't get yeah yeah that was awesome. There were mallards, pintail, and one black duck working, and the black duck just so happened to be on his side of the blind when he said, "Take him." I don't know. Yeah, how that I works. may have been up, you know, up <laughs> with my gun on my shoulder when I said, "Take him." I, <laughs> you don't see any black ducks out there when you get the shot at one. You you know. You take them. You got to get it. Yeah, you got to get them. That's awesome. Uh, Kevin and I had a blast out there. J- Dakota, how did you get into the sport? We grew up with uh, quail dogs and, and coon, dog, coon hounds. And one thing led to another. The, the quail left north or didn't leave North Georgia, but you just couldn't find them anymore. Um, and coon hunting, it got very scary with new roads and subdivisions popping up here and there. It was, you know, you worried about the dogs more than you enjoyed your time out. So I've always been around dogs my whole life. And one thing led to another and I decided to get a lab and, you know, try something different. That's cool. What kind of quail dogs did you guys run? We had foreigners mostly. Okay. So, you know, Kevin and I have English setters, right? Yes. I've seen that. Dude, I love those little dogs. I can't. I'm chomping at the bit for hunting season because of those two little dogs and some of the new. Like, I, I just got a house and there's state land right near us. It's supposed to be pretty decent for grouse. And I put up two woodcock in my back. Yeah, another one. Yep, Ooh. that's two woodcock now, baby. So I'm really excited, and I, I love watching those dogs work. And really, you know. I don't know how you feel about this, but sometimes it's nice to take a break from the retrievers and still watch a dog work and enjoy working that dog, but it's not, you know, 20 retrievers in a row or whatever. And it's just something different. And, and it's really neat. You've got to appreciate good dog work, no matter, you know, what kind it is. Sure. And even, you know, watching the bite dog work, man, those are some pretty amazing animals that can do that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That's true too. i any dog that does its job, I really enjoy, and I like learning how those men and women get the dogs to the elite levels. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's cool. So that's neat. And then, what kind of coon dogs did you have? We had blue ticks uh, and a couple of red bones. I remember growing up. Red what? Red bone. Oh, red bone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where the red fern grows. Yeah, that's right. I still cry. That's once right. We actually had one named Little Ann. No way. Yeah, I bet everyone that had a red bone named one Dan or Ann. I'm sure of it. <laughs> I'm sure of it. Dang, I wish I wrote that book. No, that man, that's awesome. Um, I've only been able to coon hunt one time, but it is it is seems more prevalent down south. And then there up here, a lot of the guys with hounds will run coyotes. Is that anything down there? Do you guys do that down there? No, I, you know, I know of some guys that, 
that do it around here, um, but I've never done it personally, no. Um, I haven't either, but it just, like you said, there just seems to be less space to do the coon hunting, and, and I would imagine coyotes, you need even more land, but guys around Probably here do better. it. Yeah, I don't know. It just seems more prevalent than, than coon hunting. So, yeah, there's that. Anyways, so uh, tell us about your first Labrador. Uh, my first lab, her name was Morgan. Um, I got her when I was 15 years old. Uh, $50 newspaper poppy, you know. That's yeah, how everybody's supposed to get started. Uh, you know, she made a great dog. She never was anything, was never made anything special in the in the hunt this world or field trial game, but she picked up birds from North Dakota to Nebraska, Missouri, Arkansas, Alabama, Georgia. She, she got me hooked, I guess. Yeah. What color? She was black. Little black female. Nice. She was the last black one I've ever drove to. The rest of mine are yellow. I didn't know that. I mean, I knew you had all yellows, but I assume there had to have been a different... There's, you got to have a little black in there, bud. Uh, we had we started off with a black one, and you know I've heard once you go black, you never go back. But, I was going to say it's twenty twenty, uh, man. Come on. <laughs> but no, she was a great dog, um, and we lost her a couple of years. She died when she was right at fifteen years old. Wow. So she hasn't been gone all that long. So that then, is two years ago now. W- why yellow? I don't know. Um, I guess the variation of colors on the yellow dogs is what I really liked about them. Do you typically shoot for the, well, do you have a preference of like lighter, darker, redder, white? No, not at all. Um, you know, the dogs could be purple, and as long as they run well for me, I'm good with them. Well, dogs be purple uh, as guy, long as they're yellow. Well, yeah, I guess it's kind of like Chevy or Ford or Dodge. Hey, you know, everybody's got their preference, and for some reason, I like the yellow ones. I think they take better pictures. They do. You know, That's the, a good point. The blue really, the blue really pops on them. Oh, see what he did right there—the ribbon color. <laughs> You've never won one of those. Nope, I haven't. Son of a pup, pup is right. We don't really swear on this podcast here, Dakota. We we like to have a range of of listeners, so I have I to it. really filter myself. Um, yeah, no, I, I, well, you knew, you met my old dog, Buck. Buck, yeah. Uh, I got a picture of Buck and Avery. I need to send you one day from one of, you know, it was one of those stall hunts where we actually had birds started working that week. That was an awesome time, man. I would love to get down there again this season, but I have gone black and I have a hard time going back. <laughs> I love, I, I. Yellows do take a better picture in the sun and when they're wet, but but a black lab when they are wet is, to me, I don't know. I really do have a hard time going back. I mean, we have brew. Brew's a year and a half. I actually sold him to a guy in Illinois, and uh, I I enjoy him. He's a phenomenal dog, but it's almost like I had my yellow, and I I don't know if I'll be able to replace him, and now it's like... Rack up another black lab, and they're all awesome. But anyways, 
So you dive into this this dog, and you dive into duck hunting, and you become I don't know what you want. Like you, you just love duck hunting, and you you're really good at it. Where did that take you in life? And and you got out to Arkansas. Like tell us that story, that background story, and how you made your way out there from a guy from Georgia. Yeah, man, I, you know, I dove off on it pretty quick. Um, and when, I guess I was 16, 17, um, had a couple of baseball coaches that were pretty big duck hunters at the time. And they'd come in from, from hunting in the morning for our early season baseball workouts. And I kind of hit it off with them a little bit more, you know, on the social side of things about hunting and stuff. And they went long. They took me out to Arkansas with them. I think when I was 17, I made my first trip, 16 or 17. And, and then that really opened my eyes, you know, what could, you know, what duck hunting can be like. And I just couldn't get enough of it. So, yeah. Leased out property in Missouri when I was 18. Um, got it a little bit here and there. We hunted the Tennessee River through Alabama for a good bit uh, near Lake Gunnersville. Uh, and just really got lucky and found, a, found that club in cash uh, one time. Our, a friend of ours, his cousin, <laughs> knew knew that guy out there and and got us in contact with him. They had one spot open that year, and I got in. And, and the next year, I, I took it, took the club over. He was tired of running it, and you know, I was a young spring buck then, and thought I knew everything, and jumped right into it. So, cool. That's awesome. And you guys still are a part of that club. Yeah, this is the first year I've had it um, in five years. Gotcha. I I got out of hunting when my son was born um so we 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 got it back up this year and looking forward to it good deal good deal so after all this good stuff starts happening the passion for the labradors come into play you dabble in the hunt test game when did you become a professional dog trainer because i'm i think when i met you i mean i we're the same age right 33 yeah, I'll be 33 in a couple months. Oh, I'm older. Nice. Um, I win. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, you had already been a pro, and, and this was – or am I wrong? That that was uh, eight, eight, nine years ago? Yeah, that's correct. Um, yeah, I started training dogs for, for friends and other people that – that knew me or heard of me when I was 18, started training a few on the side to, to flip while I was going to school. Um, and I started working at a Orvis plantation, which opened up a little bit more doors for me. Uh, it's a dog world. And I was able to grab a couple of clients here and there. I guess, I guess I went full-time pro around 2021. 20, Very good. That's awesome, man. I, I don't know I if I knew that actually. I wasn't very good either. What were some of the mistakes that you remember making or, or that you learned from back then that you don't do now? And, you know, I, I used to think the dogs would, 
would do the stuff on purpose, I guess, uh, to mess up. I, had, I really had a hot head back in the day. Um, that's most everybody that starts out. That's that's probably going to be their biggest obstacle to get over is, you know, learning these dogs are out there. They're, they're really trying every day, and you can't take your frustrations out on them. They You have to learn to, to communicate with them through different means. Uh, I'd say that's the biggest mistake I see with young pros now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can, you know, you can watch watch them walk up from the trailer to the line with the dogs and and see right there that dog's probably had a bad week of training. Gotcha. Yeah, you're probably right. You're, you're not probably right. You are right. Um, what else? What else have you developed? that I think sets, separate yourself, right? Like I've seen you back then I've seen you develop in the middle and now you really are coming into your own developing phenomenal field trial dogs, which is no joke. So what, what other things do you like to do or that you've learned along the way that you would like to pass on? Work ethic. I know it's cliche, but you Nobody's pushing you out of bed in the mornings. Uh, you've got to want it pretty bad to get up and do it and to be successful. Um, that, you know, just learning how to laugh at these dogs every once in a while, uh, especially what I do now with all these puppies. I, I've had a trailer full of nine-week to 14-month-old pups all summer, and and they're, they can be goofy at times, but when it clicks – it makes it all worth it. That's cool. Um, but just, you know, to give the dog the benefit of the doubt, especially when you're starting out and you've got a young dog. And they're um, learning. Really make sure they understand what, what you're asking of them before you start correcting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So that, I'd like to kind of take a second, Dakota, and give everybody a little bit of insight on, on my training right now. Um, and I, and he and I discussed this before the podcast, so he knows what's coming. Um, but right now I've got a crew of, of young dogs and, and one of them is mine, my little dog, Quinn, that's a year old. And it just seems like I'm not doing enough or I'm not getting through to them. Or maybe last week we only did three sessions of T pattern and, and right now it comes down to handling and I, I, we're going to talk more about this, but there's a thought in my head of like, like definitely Quinn, because she's mine, I'm being taking my time on. I'm not rushing it. I'm not just, hey, I got to get her done, and we're pushing her faster than she should. I just, I don't, I don't know how to describe it. I'm struggling. And where am I breaking down? Where are the dogs screwing up? Is it because there's seven of them? at somewhere in T pattern and I'm too easy on some and pushing to the other ones too fast, you know, where's my breakdown? And I've been self-reflecting, which I think any good dog trainer or, or amateur or whatever you want to call it should be doing is like, all right, what, what happened this week that I need to work on next week? What, where are we struggling? Why am I struggling in this? And it, and we all have gone through it and I've had enough conversations with other pros 
where it's like, God, this dog makes me feel like I don't know what I'm doing. You know what I mean? I do, yeah. And so that (laughs) me and the old pterodactyl Tarnacki had this discussion last night at 1030 while I was airing dogs. And it's like, man, I, I know what I'm doing. I've done it a lot, but there's something I'm missing. What am I missing that I used to do that maybe I'm overlooking? Am I being inconsistent? Ah, da, 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 da. And lo and behold, for me, like, I, I want to hear your opinion on, uh, and this is also a question we get a lot from other people too. So mm-hmm. it, it's, my dog is this, 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 and this, and it's time to start handling. We did force to a pile, you know, we how are you introducing pie? like I don't know I'm, I'm probably overdoing it but like if we're going to talk about handling the rest of this episode will be on handling and teaching young dogs since you're mainly focusing right now on young dogs and developing them for field trials which is the same for the gun dog guy by the way we do it the same way correct you know we're not worried about you know I'm not chasing ribbons I just need a dog to go pick up a duck well, I, I, I hate to cut you off, Bob, but you know, I had two gun dogs uh, on my truck today. They ran the same setup the young derby dogs did, but you know, I took a, a dog stand and I set it about 15 yards out in front of my mat. I sat on the stool and I blew the duck call. And when I quit blowing the duck call, that was a key for my bird boys to throw the mark. Yep. Nothing changed for them except for that little little factor right there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So the whole point is whatever we now discuss from now on in this episode is going to still work for the duck dog guy who only wants a dog, you know, on the weekends to go pick up a duck as the guy who has the aspiring derby dog, aspiring senior hunter, master hunter, junior hunter, whatever. So, and again, you're the guy that I trust and respect on developing a young dog. So maybe walk people through as best as you can, a process that you've developed for pattern or, uh, excuse me, pile work and, and creating good attitudes and, and getting into T pattern and all that. Right. You know, of, of course, your force work has got to be solid. Uh, and they have to be spot on. And if they're not, it's going to pop up. And don't be afraid to go back and do it. Uh, it happens to me. Probably once every other month, uh, you know, I get a dog in that just loves it that much, and they kind of pull me on the table, uh-huh. uh, and I don't truly get them for. So I may have to go back and visit it for a week or two. But assuming your your force work is solid, um, we start out doing a lot of front sends, a lot of remote sends. I don't like to put a lot of pressure on the dog beside me. Uh, so when we start pile work, it's all front sense uh, for the first couple of days. All right. So someone may not know what you mean by that. Will you describe it visually, like so they can close their eyes and imagine it? Yeah, a front sand. I have the dog just a few feet in front of me. I have a. I keep a rope on my dogs until they're on the tee work or on the tee field. So I've got the rope and got it in my hands. You know, I'll keep a squeaky ball or something in my pocket if I need them to get them to look at me. If they start bugging on me a little bit. I'll squeak it, get them to look at me, uh, and basically we're casting them back, back, left, right, and that's where I'm giving the force at 
Uh, I don't want them to, to have a bad bad feeling about being by my side right now until I get the initial force out of the way. And before we start that, of course, you gotta you got to kind of make it a game and teach them, you know, how to rotate left and right. And you can do that while they're little bitty puppies. But if you hadn't yet, you just take a bumper or a toy or whatever you need to and set them in front of you, toss it over the right shoulder, kind of move right with them and uh, give them some body motion to the right and get them turning right. And then once they're doing that for a day, do it to the left side. And, and it shouldn't take, but two or three days and you'll have a dog rotating back both left and right. And then once you have that, then you can start, you know, forcing them on the pile. I'll start at 10 yards. So the pile is 10 yards away from them. They're sitting in front of you and you angle yourself. I always tell people it's like shooting pool. You want to create English. So you step a few feet to the right to get them to take the right back when are you delivering the pressure and how are you delivering the pressure? Um, I, I'm delivering the pressure as soon as I get the cast. Um, I want to build that momentum for a straight back. I don't want them, you know, making a big loop right there. And usually if you get that, typically you get that pressure right when you get that back cast, you're going to spin. As soon as they spin and go, you let them out of the pressure and, and they learn, okay, as soon as I do this, pressure's off. I'm good. Mm-hmm. And then do you stay on the right cast for a little while, a day or two, or do you go back and forth? You know, It's really dog dependent. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd say your average dog, yeah, I would spend the first day doing rights. Um, the second day, I always review where I ended first. So I'd start the second day with my with a right and then I would uh, go start with the left mm-hmm. um, halfway through the session there. Do you do in route force on this at all or do you ever do in route force? Yeah, I do. Uh, it just depends on what the dog needs. Um, you know, if I can get that initial burn on the cast and they take it and they're, they're wide open like I expect them to be, then that's all the pressure they're going to get. Mm-hmm. If I give them the cast and they turn turn good for me and you know sprint a couple of feet and then they kind of lay up a little bit and i'm gonna put that pressure right back on them and just say fetch when i say go that means go i want you to get to that bumper as quick as you possibly can and for every dog is a little different you know they're not all as quick as uh, each other so you you gotta kind of read the dog in front of you if that dog is giving you his all then i'm okay with it um whether it's kind of slower or not, but yeah. So, if, you know, if the initial burn right there, it gets the job done, it gets the job done. If it don't, I'll, I'll add a little bit more pressure and I'll just use the word fetch. Um, that's what we, what we started with and what I'll go back to. That makes sense. So I would, I would have thought like a back Nick back or back, you know, continuous pressure back for the in route, but you're saying you'll give a right back cast with pressure. And if the dog's not giving you it's all, and you know, that's being lazy, you're going to give a fetch pressure. Fetch neck pressure or fetch neck fetch. Yeah. 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 So do you switch that up later to the back command? So like if the dog's lollygagging on a blind, you can yell back to him. 
Does that make sense? Or yeah, yeah. We usually swap that up once we get to the T pattern. Uh, uh, yeah. If I see them, if I see them lagging there, um, it's always back again, back burn back. Yep, yep, yep. All right, I'm with you. All right, so now because that that is different than how I do it. I always had done force to a pile from my side, so I go from walking fetch with collar, right? I do the whole force program then walking fetch with a ladder in front of me. And then I, they leave my side and like execute the ladder. And then they'll do a little bit of of a pile, you know, 10, 15, 20 yards away. And then we'll incorporate further with a white pole until they, they've figured it out where I haven't done it remote. I haven't done it in front of me. So that's interesting. Yeah. And see, well, I'll start right there, Bob. I I don't, I'll do the, the walking fetch, I do stick fetch, uh, then I do collar fetch, and once the dog will start leaving my feet for me on fetch and, you know, go out there five foot for me, then I'll, you know, I'll usually wrap it up right there, and that's when I'll start my paw work. I got you. I got you. So, on a given dog, how long do you think it takes you to go from, you know, start of forest fetch to pile work to give everybody like an idea a month month and a half what about a real poop eater buddy see i'm trying to be nice i'm trying to um you know you just gotta go as fast as the dog will allow you to that's all right hey that's kind of the answer i wanted bud so everybody can hear that that was as fast as the dog will allow you to. Correct. Yep. You, you can't smash them, bash them, and get them in the, you know, put a square peg through a round hole. Not every dog's going to be four and a half, five weeks. Some dogs are going to take you longer, especially someone who's doing it for the first, second, third time. Yeah, and some really good dogs, they take a little while. Um, yeah. You know, I, I don't judge a dog through four switch. They're all different. Um, they take pressure all different. And that's the first time, you know, their life is really flipped, turned upside down. It's, it's all new to them. Everything's been pretty honky dory up until that point. I think you just quoted the Fresh Prince of Bel Air song. I did. <laughs> I used to be my jam back in the day. <laughs> I don't know why that changed. Yeah, exactly. Don't grow up on me now, man. <laughs> So, all right. So I'm I I'm with you. I think I think I think you're right. So in term, and I'll I'll maybe take a second because I busted the Fresh Prince of Bel Air and I lost my train of thought. But um, you don't judge a book by its cover through force fetch. Correct. I, I kind of start to judge them as they're going through T pattern and starting to learn blinds and like what what attitude are we still having fun or is it only when you get a mark that you're having fun. Everything else, you're a pain in, you know, not trying hard and stuff like that. That's kind of where I'm, I can feel a dog test me and in it for themselves. But it doesn't make them a bad dog. It just, you, you kind of see where they start to unfold. What do you think? Well, I do know this um, definitely from experience. If the dog's not having a hard time going through force fetch, force to pile, T work, you're not doing your job. 
Right. Yeah, you've got to break those dogs down 100%. Um, it's just like, you know, you go to the weight room and you work out, where you're breaking down your muscles every day so they can grow. Mm-hmm. They grow back stronger, and that's what we're doing with these dogs in the, in the yard. Um, now, the field work is what we have as a crutch at that stage to keep them motivated to keep going. Right. Uh, but it's got to be hard. They've got to, they've got to stumble. They've got to trip and fall on their face or they're not going to learn. If everything, they go through it and they're, you know, everything's perfect every day, they haven't learned anything. Right. It's kind of like what you were saying before where, you know, a dog almost fooled you through force work where they were doing it because they enjoyed it, not because they had to. There has exactly. to, there has to be a breakdown in the dog's brain where it's like, this is fun. This is fun. This is fun. This is getting a little boring. This is getting a lot boring. I'm tired of this. I'm not going to do it anymore. And that's the point where you have to push through it and teach them to push through it and teach them. They don't have a choice to push through it. That's why it's called force. Exactly. And you know, some dogs say, it may happen on rep number five. Some, you may have to run 35 reps before you get that out of them. Right. Exactly. Uh, and that's what, going back to what you said, you know, some, some look like they're having fun, uh, but I guarantee you, if you do it long enough, they're going to stop having fun. And that's where you'll get your training in at. Man, that's really good to remember, buddy. That's really good to remember. Cause a lot of what we talk about is ending on a positive note. And I think that's huge for the young dogs. I think that's huge for developing drive. I think that's huge for and trying to give people an idea of how old these dogs are and what we've already done. We're not talking about three-month-old puppies. We're talking about young adult dogs. I mean, they're still young. Yeah, seven to ten months old. Exactly. They've, they've had enough drive built. They've had enough foundation built that now we can start teaching them a little bit more. Um, so... You, you need to push them through their comfort zone. Now, do you, how do you reward a dog after that? What do you think? What do you think about rewarding a dog after that? Or do you think by turning the pressure off, that is the reward? The reward should be getting the buffer. Um, now I do when I'm done, I reward the dog. It don't matter what kind of session we had, whether it was great or, uh, groundbreaking or just horrible. We didn't get anything right. Before that dog goes up, I make it happy again, whether I have to throw it a, a squeaky ball or I toss it a couple of um, bumpers, you know, whatever they prefer. But I, the dog will be happy before I put it up again. I try to get them happy beforehand. Sometimes it works, sometimes it don't. That's really irrelevant to me. Um, I'd prefer them to be happy, but if they're not, we're just going to go ahead and go through it. But we're going to we're going to make them happy before we have them up. That's good. And one huge thing um, that will help out for T work is shoot them a flyer a week, if not two. All right, I dig it. I'm definitely not doing that. I can look in the mirror and say I'm not doing that. They're getting marks through T pattern, and they're having positive stuff out in the field. Um, 
but but explain to people why a flyer would be super helpful if it's not already uh, obvious. One of the the best pros out there right now um, went to seminar right before I started running field trials, and and he said it. The first day, he said, if the dogs could talk, he would tell you guys, you go pick up the dead birds, and I'll go get that flyer. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just, you know, hit the nail on the head there. Those dogs live for that live bird. Yeah. And we, I give it to them, like I said. During two work, it may be twice a week we give them a flyer. Just to keep uh, they have to have up. They have to have something, yeah. We got to, you know, got to leave a little bit in it for them. So yeah, they have to have something to keep them going. All right, let's dive a little bit deeper now back into T-Pattern. So, you know, we started with forcing to a pile, and you like to do it where they're face-fronting you and you're casting right back and giving correction or stimulation on the way back. How are you teaching a dog to sit on a whistle right? I I usually start the whistle the day before I start stopping them on the T-Pattern. I don't introduce a whistle to them until the day before once they're running the hundred yard pile good on the T pattern and they're, you know, they're very reliable at the apex taking the back cast. Um, then I will walk them to the side. If your sit is solid as it should be, then it don't, it takes about 10 minutes to teach them to sit on the whistle, sit, whistle, sit, sit, whistle, sit, sit, whistle, sit. With color. Collar pressure, stick pressure. Uh, you know, I don't use a stick a lot. Um, I will every once in a while, but it's usually just collar pressure. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a, a set nick, a whistle right in there, you know, all together. Okay, on lead. Yeah, we'll start. You know, I may walk 100 yards on lead, drop the lead, um, leave them sitting in front of me call them to me once again i'm you know i'm trying not to put a lot of pressure on the dog while they're at my side right i want them to be very comfortable being beside me and working with me uh so i may i'll set them down walk 10 yards from them call them to me once they get about five yards from me sit loud verbal sit and then follow it with a whistle and then once it started clicking when i can leave uh, the sit out of there then I'll, you know, whistle, nick, and then back it up with a sit command. Are you nicking or are you doing a, a short, continuous? I, You know, I never nick, I don't believe. Uh, every once in a while, a dog, that's all it takes, but it's always a short little burn, like a two- or three-second burn. Right. I got you. Um, so in essence, it's a nick, but it's, it's still on the continuous button for bzzz, yeah. instead of boop. Yeah, so... A Nick Burn, I guess. Yeah. Um, but when I start stopping them on the T pattern, it's always the first day I'm stopping them is on the way back. There you go. All right. Uh, that's and it's it. not, that's no good. pressure. No pressure there. It's just whistle. If they don't sit, I'll, you know, I'll yell sit at them and just raise my voice whenever I need to. Yeah. I do the same thing. Then once, I'll, I'll like once they kinda, start there, we'll, I'll, I'm sorry to interrupt you but I'll, I'll like walk uh, towards them and you know i i, I kind of call it intimidating intimidating is kind of a wrong word but it's your physical press presence plus the verbal command plus 
the whistle. Plus, what you've kind of built is coming at them, and they slow yep. down and sit down. But it's it. them coming back to you. Oh, so go on. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, no, you were fine. Um, and you just you nailed it right there, what I was going to say. So, um, And once they start, you know, stopping on the – on the whistle without having to yell at them um, or use a verbal command. Then we'll introduce a Nick right there. When they start slowing down, you got to be really careful there. Um, if you add pressure to a dog that's moving, uh, you know, all most of the pressure he's gotten at this point of his life meant go. Right. Uh, so you really, you really got to read the dog and make sure he's, he's slowing down. He's thinking about it. He heard you. He knows what you're asking of him, but he's unsure if he wants to do it. And that's when you add the pressure. In the same way as when you you start stopping them in route. Um, you can't blow a whistle and the dog's running 100 mile an hour and you add pressure because it didn't stop. A well-trained dog should run faster when you did that. So yep. uh, you got to start breaking the momentum and you can read it by tail or you know ears start pinning back a little bit. Um, there's different cues for dogs to give you. I, all right. So I'm going to ask you to explain more cause I, I like it. I think you're, you're diving deeper into what more people don't understand, right? Like these are the reasons why we get these questions. So those physical signs that those dogs are showing you that they, if you're, and, and maybe I can just add. So like, remember we've been pressuring the dog to a pile now you're adding pressure to stop. There can be confusion with that dog where that pressure that he's getting to sit on the whistle means haul butt and pick up the bumper. And he was, and Dakota's talking about like reading the situation, reading the dog, and ears pinned back and tail and all that jazz. So talk to me a little bit about that. Like how do you, how do you finesse this? I've said it a million times on the podcast. This is a finesse game. This part of dog training is finesse. That's why not as many people can get dogs to run blinds as they can to go pick up a duck and a decoy with a rock. It, it takes a few dogs uh, really to to learn. It takes a lot of dogs really to finesse it like you're talking about. But if you watch them, just watch your dog run into the back pile. Watch his movements. Watch his, where his ears are. Watch how his tail – well, watch how he holds his tail on the way out. The tail should be, you know, straight back at us right. um, if he is running like he should be. So when you blow that whistle, it, you, he'll those ears will kind of perk up a little bit if he hears it and he kind of understands what you're asking. Um, those ears will perk up a little bit. That tail may crack a little bit, like kind of like you smell a bird. Um, and once he shows us those signs, that's when you can add the pressure. But remember, as soon as you add that pressure, I always go back at that point when they're not really stopping on the whistle good for me. I'm going to back it up with a, a loud sit. I'm going to make it very clear what I'm giving him that pressure for. I'm not going to give him another whistle because he didn't sit, sit sharply on that whistle. Uh, you know, sit is one of the first things we teach these dogs. And if you've done you've done all your work right up to that point, it shouldn't take more than a couple of days really to get that dog sitting right. Now he may not sit square to you. Right. Uh, you know, we can get into that later, but, um, as long as he, 
here's that whistle and you, you know, you done your, your work right there to, to teach him that whistle means the same thing as sit. Um, he should start kind of, Oh, you know, he wants me to sit right now. And it can be hard for some dogs. Um, some not so hard, but, uh, just, you know, really watch your dogs while they're just running to the back call. They're free. They're happy. They're running, running, running. Um, and watch all their movements right there. Very good. Um, it, you can stop them closer to you and then watch you normally would too sometimes if they're really having problems with it and just build off that. When do you – all right, so now we, we've kind of covered sitting on the whistle. We've covered force to a pile. Handling now. Left overs, right overs, left backs, right backs. When you're teaching this, so you, I would call it three-handed casting or mini T. You, and you, you covered it in the beginning, so I don't want to double back on it. But, like, you've already made it a game. The dog understands what you're asking of them. Now you're incorporating leave my side, pick up a bumper, and or excuse me, leave my side, stop. Now what do you do? Tell, tell everybody okay. how you do that. Once they're leaving, once we got them stopping good at the apex, then I want my dogs casting right and left backs from there. <laughs> I'm sorry, excuse me. So once we start stopping, you know, and it don't have to be perfect right now, but we're getting about 80% success rate um, stopping on the whistle. And they're turning and burning back to the pile left and right. Um, then I'll meet them out there at the apex, and I'll establish my right over pile first. I don't know why I always do right. It's just how I've done it. That's how I do um, too. But can I stop you for a second just to slow yep. down? Because I, I missed it. Do you you don't even have over piles out. You just have a back pile and a pole back there, right? No over piles. You're just working on right backs and left backs. That's it. Yeah. Well, we were going to get that that right first. Yes. Very good. Okay. Sorry. Go on to your right over because I do right overs too, buddy. There we go. All right. So once you know, yeah, I feel really good about them going. And they don't have, like I said, they don't have to be perfect. I'm asking 80% uh, success rate on the correct cast right now and all the way through T-Word. But once they're doing that, I'll stop them on the way home at the apex and I'll walk out to them. I'll have, you know, six or seven bumpers in my hand. I'll leave them there at the apex and I'll walk over to my, my overpile and I'll toss a few in it walk back to them, throw one from the apex all the way to the pile, and I'll send them to it. Mm-hmm. Once I get back to it, back from it, I'll do the same thing. Um, and I may do it, you know, three or four times. It depends on the dog. But once they really, you know, understand, okay, there's another pile over here, then I'll back up 10 yards from them, and I'll give them that right-hand cast. Uh, with a bunch of body, a uh, bunch of movement right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, all right, so we're going right, right, right. And, you know, that may be all we do the first day, Bob, is just really get that right-hand cast done right there. Um, depends on when we start it during that session. 
but say we we started it early in the session and everything was looking good and we got to it. All right, so I'm going to receive on 10 yards. Um, I'm going to call it home plate from the line, um, from the apex close to the line. And I'm going to start to them to the back pile right there. <laughs> because usually once they, you know, that overpile is right there, hey, buddy, you know, I'd rather go get that close one. And we'll make it very black and white again. Hey, we're going to this back pile. We're not going over here. Um, and right, then so just slowly I don't start to, my way back. I don't mean to interrupt you. You, you I don't think you, you might have lost me. So you bring them back to home plate? And are you doing. Well, no. I'm sorry. No, I was calling home plate the line um, back to the baseball turns, you know. Right. Uh, so you're but, at the line, you're at home plate, you're sending them through pitcher's mound or the apex. Okay, so, right, if we're stopping them at the apex, the pitcher's mound, I'm going to get 10 yards closer to home plate from the pitcher's mound. I got and that's, uh, yep. I'm going to send them to the back pile from there. Yep. Okay. Uh, we're, we're a little bit closer to the back pile because they're really going to start wanting to get to that over pile. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, distance erodes control. So I got you. I, we'll I'm start sorry. there and ease our way back up. I agree. I do the same thing. I just I, I thought I knew what you were talking about, or I and I just want to make sure that you know people are like literally driving down the road thinking about what you and I are talking about right now. And I want to make sure that we're we're doing a good job at them thinking in their brain what we're talking about. Um. All right. Cool. So now. Now that you've got that kind of rolling good, what do you got next? Then I'm going to start doing right overs, left backs. Mm-hmm. Um, so once we're doing, we're backed around the back pile and we can run that back pile and not, not peek over to where our right over pile is. And we can stop right there and take our right overs. Um, then we'll start doing leftovers right back. Mm-hmm. I do the same thing. So I'm, it's like alternating, right? If I did yep. a right exactly. over and a right back, it's a, it could be very well confusing to a dog. A right over and then a left back, kind of simplifying a little bit. Yes. That is where okay. I'm struggling right now, though, as I mentioned earlier. I don't know why they're struggling. This is what we've been doing this whole time, but I don't know. I think, so we kind of chatted it before. I think I'm putting too much pressure on them where they're afraid to make a mistake and afraid in a loose term. They're not, you know, freaking really scared. They're just, they're trying hard to beat the pressure. And in turn, they're making a mistake and getting pressure. And then they're trying to beat the pressure and in turn getting pressure. Can you break it down for me a little bit? What are they doing or is this? you know, a conversation for some other time. I'm sorry, say that again. Can you break it down a little bit, what they're doing for me? Uh, would oh, it be yeah. helpful for the listeners or, you know, yeah, yeah. talk about this later? No, no, no. That's a good, good call. So we'll use my, my personal dog as an example. Um, her name is Quinn. She's a year old, uh, force vet, like to kind of re talk about what we did Force fetch is very good. Um, force to a pile is very good. She, also is that dog that has a lot of fun doing pile work. So you have to instill that this is a job, not a, or like I'm, I'm asking you, I'm telling you, you got to do it. 
type of thing, and that it's not all fun and games. Um, and she was doing three-handed casting beautifully. She sits on a whistle pretty good. That is where I see a breakdown. And so what I was trying to do is clean up that sit with the collar while we're still learning casting. So if I gave her right over, she'd probably crush it because that's what we always kind of start with like you do. And then I'd give a left back and she'd crush it. And then I'd stop her and give her a right over and she'd maybe dig back left, left back. Um, Just spinning quickly, casting quickly. And what would happen is no pressure here, sit, cast. And, And so she was getting pressure to sit quickly because she wasn't it was getting loopy and just having too much fun and screwing around so pressure then when she took the wrong cast tweet pressure no which even the word no is pressure call her in a little bit back to the apex and cast again and she would you know a lot of dogs are like "Eh, i screwed up and do the cast she kept digging and so this is like a few days in a row of, I don't know, man. I, like I said, I've been reflecting on it. I talked to the pterodactyl about it. You know, we've we've all kind of been there, done that, where this is a really talented dog. She isn't a dummy. Why am I struggling with this? Why is she struggling this? And I think, for me, there's two schools of thought. One is alleviate the pressure and help her and just make it i wouldn't i don't want to like put a band-aid on it or over help where she's already been doing this for over a month now she should be almost done not making these dumb mistakes still or okay silly mistakes you know so yeah so you if you give her a right hand over she'll take a right hand back or a left hand back she'll just dig or okay all right, that just means you did a good job, Bob. Um, you did a good job forcing that dog to a pile. All right, now where are you giving your correction at? So On the whistle? Both. So that that would be a good point. So because her, I don't think I did a good enough job teaching the sit whistle, I'm starting to instill it on her way out to the back pile, right at the apex or, or pitcher's mound. Tweet, pressure, butt hits the ground, pressure's off, good dog, cast. When she makes an improper cast, tweet, pressure, no, cast. Okay. A lot of times these dogs will start to get loopy on us when they really don't like what we're doing. Mm -hmm. Uh, They're kind of trying to get out of it. They're, they're finding ways to slow the process down. Uh, Loopy said it's just one of the many ways they can do that to us. Um, but let's say, okay, go ahead and correct that sit. You have to every time. Um, but if she does have it, let's say she has a good sit on her, you know, you gave her right over, she dug back, whether it's left or right. All right, blow that whistle. No, here, Nick. Break that momentum down right now because what do we do when we start running blinds? That's what uh, you we know, do. we train with attrition. You know, we break them down if they're 
they're digging back, digging back, went in to change the direction. So you know, bring her in with a little burn. No, here. Burn her on that here. Burn, you know, bring her in a little bit in front of the apex right there. Mm-hmm. And then give her that cast. Right. So, but you may already be doing that. Wow. So that, that's exactly what I've been doing, bud. And it's, and I think she's maybe not understanding why she's getting so much pressure. Right. So is it because of the sit whistle? Is it because I did a bad cast or is it both? I mean, it is because of both like that. I know why I'm giving her pressure. Does she? Does that like? I hope that our listeners are understanding our discussion here because this is a straight up discussion. This is one dog, one one man struggle, asking another buddy of his who does this for a living and I respect. What? what yeah, and I, we're both sitting here beating our heads up against the wall trying to think. Of exactly. So it's not a black and white answer. This is the finesse game. So if you've got a yeah. dog that has a good like you, you, we all talk about the recipe, right? It's like a good attitude, smart, like we're not working with something that doesn't have a good baseline. This is a good baseline dog. I would argue well, well versed in the pressure game and force force game. The only thing I can look in the mirror and say that maybe she doesn't understand is the pressure on the sit whistle. That can be like, that's because the other stuff is indirect pressure. The other stuff is like, no, you made the wrong cast with a little Nick. Come on in, slow your momentum down. Let me show you again. To me, that's kind of a no brainer, but maybe because I'm putting pressure on the sit whistle, looking for perfection. With what I know right now, if you, you draw this dog over to me and told me to do this tomorrow with her, um, you could go about it one or two ways. One, you could put a collar on flanks mm-hmm. and just take that correction. You still get your set correction, but you know, you'll have to, you'll have to walk her around and show her that you'll have to get her used to a collar on her flanks. If you ever, anybody ever does that, they kind of freak out once you put a collar around there, but you can, you can get that correction right there. And that should, that should help clear the air a little bit for, um, because when that pressure comes on the flanks, they they will go to the ground. Mm-hmm. Um, or you can go back to attrition and you know hold a bumper in your hand, and if she takes a, a bad cast, bring her back in and toss the bumper out to where you want it to, and right. give it to the cast again. Right. Yeah. yeah have I, you been yeah. doing that? Yes. So I'll be okay. again, dude. I'm going to be real honest with every top 30 in Canada podcast listeners. I don't know how many people listen to this right now, but I'm going to be real honest with everybody. My attitude has been poor this week. Like last week entering into this week, like I'm tired of these mistakes. Um, We've been working on this for a very long time. Way, you know, she should be further than this. And there are a few other culprits in my kennel, right? That are like, you know, better you should be doing more. And therefore, my patience is less thick to handle yeah. poor behavior. And like you said earlier, like a, a, a young trainer, a bad trainer is going to think the dogs are doing it to spite you. 
I don't think they're spiting me. I'm just tired of screwing around. Like, you know what the whistle means, you do it. You know what over means, you do it. Let's get this over with so we can go and have fun doing other stuff. We got a lot more to accomplish, and it's August 1st. You know what I'm saying? Are you doing it every day? See, that's so that is another part I can look in the mirror. I don't do it every day. I don't have the time and the, you know, whatever. So it's if we look at in a six-day-a-week schedule, we're probably three to five days. A good week would be five days. Uh, a week that gets away from you is three. What do you think of that? I, I do about two or five days a week. Okay. Um, it's Monday through Friday. No matter what, it's the first thing I do every morning. Uh, because I think it's the most important part of these dogs' lives. Um, it's probably the, one of the most redundant things they're going to do, one of mm-hmm. the most boring things that's going to happen to them. Um, uh, you know, uh, well, I'm down here in Alabama right now, too, so that's why I'm doing it first thing in the morning while it's cooler right. um, for them. I don't know. You know, a week off may let her reset, let you reset. I'm definitely an amateur that's having having this problem, you know, and you're not time crunched. Take a week off. Let the dog have some, you know, relax, forget about it, and then come back to it. That's a great point. Now, for me, what what helped me was really the discussion last night with Blaine and, and some other buddies is, like, maybe I need to just relax. Like, maybe I just need to put a little music on you know, rock out and and not worry as so much about the pressure of of them making mistakes and just okay, so she went the wrong way. No here, no pressure. Cast. And and truthfully, dude, today really did go phenomenal. So I don't know if it's cuz I was in a better mood or things were just more relaxed. I don't know what it was. Tomorrow I will report differently for everybody on how it went with this whole new relaxed Bob mode, but forcing, forcing it. And I don't mean forcing in the training world. I mean, forcing it like we got to get this done. Time crunch force wasn't helping me. It wasn't helping me mentally. It wasn't helping me as a trainer and the dogs weren't progressing like I wanted. And really, truly today was a great day on the T pattern field. And I've got the other kicker is I got like eight dogs on T pattern, so that's pretty monotonous. And I would imagine you probably are similar because you got so many young dogs going through the field trial game. It's just a monotonous tweet over tweet back, tweet this, tweet that. Dude, you killed it. I mean, you got to put your favorite music on. It's got to be loud, and you got to laugh. Yeah. As long as they are going and stopping, you know I'm not upset. There you go. I, I don't get upset until they quit going. Yeah. Um, once as long as they're going and stopping, we we'll get everything worked out. It may just take a little bit longer. Yeah. I I think it's just it comes down to my attitude too, bud. And I think being on this podcast and talking to everybody and everyone's listening, that's we all fall into a little rut. We all aren't. We're all human. We all lose our patience. We all need to sit back and remember that they're just a dog and that we're having fun doing this and they should be having fun too. And yes, they have to. 
that I'm not telling them or telling you that they can get away with murder. But it, I don't know. I just think that my attitude had to change a little bit. And I did see progress today. Or at least I didn't see explosions on the T pattern field where it's like, I don't know where this is going. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, I mean, now I understand a little bit more where you're coming from. And that sounds like, you know, that's the right dose of medicine right there. Just take a chill, relax. It's okay. Work through it. Yeah, exactly. No, I get it. So, again, we're going through this. We'll we'll kind of finish touching on it, but it's like in the, in the end of T-pattern, when T-pattern is complete, a dog should go out, stop nicely, take a right over, take a right back, take a left over, take a left back, take a right back, take a left over. Like whatever you throw at them, they should do it pretty darn good. They may make a mistake yeah. here and there, but they should be pretty solid, right? Yeah, like my 80% rule. Mm-hmm. When, when we're done and they're 80% on doing everything, uh, I'm happy. We're, we're moving on. What do you do next? <sighs> All right. Well, my dogs are, once they have started the ride over pile, my dogs are already started to swim by. Um. And once they have started the leftover pile, my dogs have, are doing T-work, swim by, and pattern blocks. Wow. Uh, we haven't started diversions yet. I don't start diversions until we get done with the T. Um, and once we're done with the T, they're three-quarters of the way through swim by and doing diversions on the pattern field. All right, so like we asked about force fetch, how long do you, and you said T-pattern is like the fundamental, you know, biggest thing that they are learning. How long are you spending on this on average, on a normal dog? A normal dog is four to six weeks. Mm-hmm. Right. They're, they're not going to get Quinn it done. That's my gears. That's why Queen grinds my gears, man. <laughs> <laughs> they're not going to get it done, you know, any sooner than four weeks. There's right. no no way, no way. But a uh, good dog, really sharp dog, can get it done in four weeks. Um, you know, I started doing angle backs on my two patterns too, um, so I'm taking a couple of weeks longer to do that now. Cool. Um, and getting away from a couple of um, casting drills that I normally do after it, and just kind of adding it to it. You're, you're practically done with the T, but. You know, we're adding a little bit more to it and and getting a little bit better response out in the field from it. Nice. Nice. Um, would that be like at your back pile, you have a, a left back pile, a middle back pile, and a right back pile? So when you send them to the apex, stop them, you can cast them there? Or are those piles? That's pretty, right. Yeah. Yeah, they're even with the back pile and the same distance out as the over piles. Mm-hmm. So they're about 35 yards from my back pile, a left and right angle back. I like doing that too. I don't do it during T pattern, but I, I love that little drill. And dogs who really struggle for one reason or another with casting and, and understanding that not everything is a, a 90 degree. You know, either a straight right over or a straight right back. They need to really kind of 
finesse it and figure it, excuse me, figure it out. Um, I like that drill. But yeah, you do it well, you do I'm it at the end of T pattern? Yeah, at the end. I want to say and Bobby it's over to the truck or back to the bird. Right. Um, you know, the one thing that people need to understand um, about handling a dog on a blind is when we blow that whistle, of course it means sit down. But what we are telling that dog at that moment is that, hey, buddy, you are no longer going in the right direction. I want to change the direction from you. And up until they're two, a dog is never really corrected for, you know, not taking the correct angle. But I will correct them for not changing direction. And so that's why I've added those two piles in my keyword um, to go ahead and teach them right there. Hey, you know, we're going to change direction. If I, if I blow that whistle, you're no longer going where I want you to. We're going to go somewhere else. And another great drill is a split casting drill there. Um, you could do right after T-Work. Can you explain that drill a little the bit people? Yeah, split casting drill. You want two piles um, out about 60 yards apiece, or 60 yards from you, and about 15, 20 yards apiece. And you'll you'll start by just establishing the pile. You start out about 30 yards from it, and toss a few bumpers to both piles and just work your way back. You get about 60 yards and they're lining to both piles really nicely. Um, you'll line them up on the right pile, send them out there about halfway, blow the whistle, give them a left angle back and they're going to pick up the, the left pile. They get back, you send them for the left pile. You stop them halfway, you give them a right angle back, they're going to pick up the right pile. Uh, and we're relaying to the dog right there, hey, buddy, you know, I know I sent you this direction, but when I blow this whistle, I don't want you to go there no more. We're going to go somewhere else. If they dig back to where they want to go, tell everybody, you know, what do you do? Do you give them a freebie with a tweet, no, here, tweet, or like attrition, hey. or are you giving pressure? I will start off with attrition. Um Start off with attrition until the dog has good understanding, uh, especially if you just got off the T, you know, the T pattern. We're sending them, I know we, we send them for the back pile, we stop them, and we send them for the back pile again. So they don't know any better right now. Uh, so the first couple of days is going to be attrition. Um, and once we they start really understanding it, and then you can correct them here and there. It's not really a, a drill made for correction. So um, it's I'd almost try to stay 100% attrition on that drill there, uh, except for ghost.com. Mm-hmm. I dig it. I dig it. Any other go-to handling drills that you would like to describe for somebody who is aspiring to have a blind running dog. So they, they listen to this podcast, they've read about and like put it all together and they got a dog through T pattern. What do you like to do when you're starting to teach blinds? Um, do you use white poles? Do you use white poles with a bucket on it? Do you 
do lining pass? Like what are like one or two little things that are just like every dog, I got to do this. And that's what helps build them. My favorite is the split gassing drill we just talked about. Um, They have to have to do that. Well, they don't have to do it. I I feel like I have to do it to relate to the dog. Hey, we're going to change direction now. Um, If I send you for A, if I stop you, we're going to go to B. Um, Um. you know, walking baseball used to be a favorite of mine. I just don't have the time to do it anymore. Uh, I mean, it's simply you take a dog, two buffers. You start with white buffers, um, a flat field, no terrain, no cover. You toss a buffer back behind him. You walk off, or you toss a buffer out somewhere around the dog. You you walk off from the dog. You toss another bumper. The dog needs to see you toss both both bumpers. Well, we're going to cast them for the original bumper. All right. And for the first bumper thrown. So we receive them back to where we are, where we're standing. (laughs) You set them there. You walk off, toss a bumper. Toss a bumper you just received from him. And then you cast them to to the second bumper you originally thrown. And so far i mean you can you know you can stay when you first start just 10 yards away from them and and you can really end up getting a 100 yard cast out of that really defining your cast also really working to get those you know little angles and Mm -hmm. stuff you really want to see at the end teamwork that's it i kind of described go ahead sorry the guy you know the guy with one dog and and not a lot of training grounds, not a lot of equipment. That's a great, great drill for them. Where can they uh, learn they can, more about walking baseball? Because I don't, you know, for me, like Evan Graham has a good, good walking baseball. Is there another place? Yeah, that's where, yeah, that's where I've seen it first. Yeah. Um, Evan Graham has a, he, he does a great job of, of breaking down that, that drill right there. Very cool. Very cool. Well, Dakota, I know you've got a family to tend to and dogs to work in the morning. And quite frankly, I got to air some dogs too, buddy. Um, I can't thank you enough for being on the, on the show, man. You were tentative. You're like, I don't know what to talk about. You were, but you nailed it. You nailed it. Uh, you can be talking about dogs or ducks, man, and I can talk all night. I know it. I know it. That was really, really fun. I appreciate it, and uh, I know our listeners did too. So do me a favor. Tell everybody again, um, you know, your your business name, your website, Facebook, Instagram. You know, if, they, if they've got a dog, they want to play in the field trial game, you know, and they've got a dog that they're pumped up about, how can they find out about you? Um, we're, we have a Facebook page, it's Gold Hill Retrievers, um, then also have a Instagram page, just at Gold Hill Retrievers. Very good. Very good. Going for the blue at Gold Hill. That's your new yeah, tagline. I just came it. up with that. I just I came like up. it. There you go, man. Just. It, it's a lot harder than you made it sound, but I like it. <laughs> well, I can't tell you how proud I am of all you've accomplished in the last 10 years, man, it's from the minute I met you on top of that hill 
at Richard's place with Joe and Blaine and having fun and, and slinging lone duck hats, you know, in North Georgia where you have taken your training ability, your knowledge, the, the dogs, the caliber, all that stuff uh, is it's really impressive, and I'm I'm proud of you. And you've got a great family and a great business. And uh, I hope that someone listens to this podcast and is like, man, I that guy sounds like someone I'd want to hang out with and uh, send my dog to. And I don't know, man, but I I can't tell you enough how much I enjoyed this, and thank you for being a part of it. And uh, I hope to do it again. Yeah, this too, Bob. I had fun, man. I cherish our our friendship and watched it grow on over the years and watched you grow. And man, it's been a blast. These dogs, they, you know, they can take you anywhere. And if I can say, you know, this one thing to any listener out there, don't be afraid to go to anybody to ask questions. I've never ran into one person, you know, even in the intimidating field trial game that wasn't willing to sit down and talk to me about anything. So, you know, couldn't agree more. Just, just sit down and talk to somebody about it. If you're having a problem with your with your dog, or you just want to learn more, don't be afraid to ask. Go throw birds and and help out. That's you know that got me a long way. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And that's kind of what this podcast was too. Is like hashing out a little bit of Quinn's struggle and just two guys talking it out, and that's fun. That's, that's how we all learn. That's how we get better, you know, hanging out with people who are better than you and picking brains and spitballing and trying things, and that's how we all get better. So surround yourself with people that you want to be like and train like and and business-wise and life-wise and all that stuff. Surround yourself with those good people, and good things will happen, and Dakota is one of those dudes for me. So thank you, buddy. I appreciate everything. And, uh, again, check out Gold Hill getting that blue. I don't know why it's not Blue Hill, but it's Gold Hill, baby. <laughs> there you go. Thank you, Bob. Gavin, thank you. Yeah, buddy. We'll All talk right. soon. All right, man. Have a great one. Hey, join our community. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our YouTube, if you enjoy Instagram, it's like buying me and Kevin a beer. Join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. The link is in the description. Click that link. Join the community. We've got tons of great videos, tons of great content, and you can ask me more questions. So join it. Enjoy it. We did it for you, and you're helping us produce this show so thank you so much to that community get in get out let's roll patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters hey listeners nick larson here host of the bird shop podcast as fans of this show you may be interested in the conversations on the bird shop podcast where we discuss all things upland hunting from upland birds and their habitat and conservation to the shotguns bird dogs and gear used to pursue them whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more i interview a wide range of guests each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share if you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation please consider subscribing to the bird shop podcast today Thank you.